today's um, reading is from John 13, um, verses 1 to 17, and it's on page 874 of the Church Bible, and it's also on the screen. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Okay, well, um, let me add my welcome to that of Kez's before. My name's Jeff. If you're a visitor here today, I also am a visitor. Um, I'm not a member of this church. I'm one of the uh, staff at Trinity City. And uh, as this church is looking for a new senior pastor, I'll be with you for the next month or so on the lead into Easter. And we're looking at John 13 and 14. It's great to be back here. So thank you for the warm welcome. But, you know, I don't know what's going on in this place every time. Even my 10-year-old daughter said, it's cold again. It's raining. Why is it raining up here? But there you go. Um, can I just, uh, as Kez pointed out, you don't have the passage printed in front of you. I would really urge you, if you don't have access to a Bible or can't see a Bible now, just to get one from the back. I'm just going to be walking through the passage, and if you can't see a Bible, then you won't know if what I'm saying I'm just making up. Uh, so it'd be much better if you have the Bible in front of you. Uh, if you need one, check your hand up, and Phil uh, will not bring you one because we've run out. So <laughs> maybe um, share them around. Uh, do bring them in future. Or, yeah. We'll work out something uh, for next week. That'd be handy. Okay. If you look at the, uh, the handout, on the front, is the sermon is called A Master Who Serves Us. I've actually called the whole series An Unexpected Jesus because uh, whether or not you're a Christian, um, Jesus is often not what we think he is. Uh, we come with a whole series of assumptions and misconceptions. Uh, but actually, it's a good thing uh, because he's so much better. And today, as we look at this very famous passage where Jesus washes his disciples' feet, I want us to see how it shows the way in which he would have us live. If you look at the handout, the torn-off section now on this side, 
Uh, you'll see what I want to cover, basically just walking through the passage, but spending most of our time on trying to apply it in our context. Uh, point one, the context of the passage. So verse one, John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his home who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Uh, the story picks up uh, halfway through John's account. Uh, it's the night before the Passover, what we now know as Easter, uh, which, as you know, is terrifyingly soon from all the Easter eggs that are in the shops. Uh, verse 1 is a summary of what's happened so far. Jesus has been on some kind of mission. It's almost over. His mission is all about love. And he's determined to show his love to the very end. Uh, specifically, what we're going to see in this passage is that Jesus will show that his love is not kind of vague, wafty feeling. It's not kind, some kind of wishy-washy sentiment. His love is about hard service. Uh, and his example is going to say that love is to be shown until the day you leave this world, until your dying day. So point two, let's look at the incident itself. This is in verses two through five. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You see a little more of the context there in verse 2. Uh, the way that Jesus will leave this world will be by being betrayed by one of his own disciples. More on that next week. But for now, we focus in on the way in which de Jesus demonstrates his love in verses 4 and 5. Now, make no mistake, uh, to wash someone's feet was, quite frankly, disgusting. Uh, this was an era, as you can well imagine, where there weren't closed-toe shoes and there wasn't asphalt. So when people arrived, their feet were filthy. And foot washing was considered to be such a degrading task that of all the servants, uh, you would never ask a Jewish servant to do it. If you're a Jew, you'd ask a non-Jewish servant to do it. It was considered to be that humiliating. Jesus, we're told, takes off his outer clothing, which I presume is because when you wash feet, everything gets ruined. And here we find their master serving the, serving the servants in this way. Now, some of us come from cultures where, in fact, you don't even wear shoes inside people's houses. You're probably twitching at the moment as you're thinking about what's going on here as the great one bends down and washes the feet of his disciples. And the thing, of course, about foot washing is that it always takes place when you arrive, before you come into the house. But you notice here the meal is already underway. No one has thought to wash anyone's feet. No one has wanted to take that task, I presume. And so halfway through the meal, so that no one misses out, everyone is there, even Judas, Jesus, as if to highlight what he's doing, breaks the meal and washes his disciples' feet. Uh, John doesn't record what the reaction is of his disciples, but I think it's safe to assume that they were probably stunned, shocked into silence. 
I find myself wondering why not one of the disciples offered to get up and take over from Jesus. (coughs) Hold that thought, but this much I think we can say. None of them loved Jesus enough to take over from him and spare him his indignity. Point three, case study. In verses 6 through 11, we focus in on two of the disciples. First on Peter, then on Judas. Pick it up in verse 6. He comes to Simon Peter who says to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replies, you don't realise now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. To which Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. You are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. Uh, We come now to Peter, uh, to the disciple who we all know well. He pops up at different points uh, with a special focus on him throughout the accounts of Jesus' life. Uh, Peter clearly has no idea what's going on, right? Uh, In fact, Jesus even says that. You don't understand what's going on. Later you will. But clearly at this point, he can't fathom what's taking place. But at least to his credit, Peter has the guts to say, recognising just how terrible this is that Jesus is washing his feet, Jesus, you shall never wash mine. It's true, he doesn't offer to take over for Jesus. But once Jesus says to Peter, if I don't do this, you don't belong to me, uh, Peter goes, you might say, all in. Not just my feet, my head and my hands as well. And You know, we all sort of chuckle, don't we? We smile a little bit patronisingly at Peter. Oh, Peter, you've missed the point again, haven't you? But at least he does better than the others, doesn't he? The paragraph finishes by focusing our attention on Judas, who's not named, but is clearly implied. What's more incredible to you? That Jesus will wash Judas's feet, knowing full well that Judas is conspiring to kill him? Or that Judas lets him do so, lest he blow his cover? One of Jesus' most frequently quoted sayings is, love your enemy. How reassuring that Jesus is no hypocrite. He will love even when his love is not reciprocated. Which is wonderfully reassuring when we consider how often we fall short and fail. I find this part of the whole account perhaps the most overwhelming. I think about what I'm prepared to do for my loved ones. As an example, uh, many of you know that I'm married to Wendy. We have three kids. They're all sort of middle, um, middle high school now, but they used to be babies, of course, at once upon a time. And like most little babies, at some point, all of them went through the projectile vomiting stage. Uh, my wife has a real can't-handle vomit. So whenever a child started vomiting, what she'd do, she'd turn the child around so it would vomit outwards. Me, on the other hand, I love my children so much that each of them has vomited all over me, and I've held on to them. I haven't put them down at that point. Because I love them. I guess I'd do just about anything for them. But I'd never dream of enduring that for someone I didn't love, let alone my enemy. 
But I guess that's the point, isn't it? Jesus loves everyone. So why would you ever refuse him? Point four, interpretation and application. We come to the end of the passage, and this is one of the really terrific parts of the Bible because not only does Jesus do something, he tells us what it means, and he tells us what to do. It's kind of hard to go wrong on this one. Pick it up in verse 12. When he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? (laughs) Brackets, clearly they don't. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus' logic is brutally simple. Here's my paraphrase. Jesus says, I'm greater than all of you, and I served you, so what can possibly be stopping you from serving each other? Of course, the answer, which all of us are too ashamed to admit, is some variation of, well, because it's beneath me. Or because I don't want to. Or because he or she doesn't deserve it. Or because I don't feel like doing so. So let me try then and take what Jesus has said and apply it in our context. And I want to do that for the rest of our time by asking the three questions that you'll see printed near the bottom of your handout. Firstly, what could make you want to wash feet? What could make you want to wash feet? Now, of course, the whole point, I take it, of having servants is that it enables you to get out of doing all the dirty work. Uh, Why else would you have them? Why else would you want to be the master at the top unless there are others to do the things you don't want to do? What kind of master serves the servants? And yet the most basic reason that Jesus gives to make us want to wash other feet is that Jesus washed ours first. What Jesus is doing is setting the example of what life is to be like in his kingdom, lived in his realm, under his rule. If even the master serves, then so does everyone. Now, drive this point home. I suspect that Jesus knows that if he says to his disciples, wash my feet, they'd be falling over themselves to do it. Instead, he asked them to wash each other's feet. And in so doing, what I think John 13 is saying is that the only test of whether you have understood how much Jesus loves you and the only measure of your love for Jesus is seen in your willingness to wash the feet of other servants, not of the master. Because ultimately, the only reason why you would ever serve others, especially when it's hard, even if they're your enemy, it's not because they deserve it. It's not because they'll reciprocate. It's not even because you feel like doing so. The only reason is because Jesus served us first.
Most of you know that I spend most of my time working with university students, uh, particularly with ES down on campus. A number of you are here today or graduates from the group are here. Uh, one of the things I love about the student ministry is hearing uh, you know, those in that stage of life where everything lies before them still say with utter conviction and passion that they want to live for Jesus. That their intention, their commitment is that for the rest of their life, they want to live for Jesus and live for him alone. It's wonderfully inspiring. What John 13 reminds us is that the only way to tell if they practice what they preach is to ask, are they actually serving Jesus' servants? Because that's how you serve the master who has left our world. That's what it means to live for Jesus, to serve Jesus, to love Jesus, to glorify Jesus. It means serving his people. And that's, of course, the reason why foot washing, this episode that we've looked at today, uh, is as important as the episode we'll look at next week. Next week, we'll come to what we know as the Lord's Supper, where once a month as a church, we remember Jesus' death on the cross. Good thing for us to do. But it's the first half of John 13 that shows us how we take that conviction and put it into action. What could make you want to wash feet? Well, the second question is, what does foot washing actually look like in the Christian community today? If you're new amongst us and you've been sitting here listening, and perhaps this is the first time you've heard of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, and you've heard how Jesus says that we ought to do the same for each other, perhaps you are wondering to yourself why, when you came through the front door, no one offered to wash yours. I thought about that this week. Why is it that we don't continue to wash feet, even though, as I said, next week we're going to redo the whole communion thing? Why don't we wash feet? Well, there's a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, One of them, of course, is that... uh, I thought about this. Imagine if I offered to wash people's feet. I reckon you'd just feel a little bit awkward and weirded out by it, wouldn't you? Um, you'd find it a bit invasive of your personal space, is my guess. Uh, but that's mostly because you don't need your feet to be washed, do you? And we live in a very hygienic and sanitary time. So instead of just blindly repeating a ceremony... That's traditionalism gone mad or ritualism gone mad. What we need to ask is how do we uphold the principle of foot washing, the principle of service, in a way that makes sense in our context? And in particular, how in this church, this is just one aspect, how does this church be a place where we serve each other the way Jesus served us? You'll see that I'm going to pause in just a moment and ask you to talk about that exact thing. I've given you space there. I've called it for discussion uh, because I'd like you, you know your church, to think for a moment with those around you what it would mean for us to serve in a foot-washing kind of way without actually washing the feet. There's a whole bunch that spring to mind immediately that are pretty obvious. There's a willingness to be the people who stay behind to clean up. Uh, Perhaps there are those who... I was going to say uh, fold the leaflets, but there's apparently a lot less to go in the leaflets these days now. But there's still the -the behind-the-scenes work that has to be done that most don't particularly enjoy. Maybe 
the foot washing kind of service is seen in the way in which we care for and invest in those who are just a little bit harder, who take a bit more of our time than we want to give. For a couple of minutes, I'll ask you just to turn to the person next to you. What does it mean for us to wash feet in our context here at Trinity Hills? Go for it. Okay, thank you. I'm going to... Um, I realise I haven't given you enough time to talk about that, but I understand that most people here are going out to lunch afterwards for 17th birthday celebrations. Uh, perhaps when you arrive at your host's house, after seeing if they wash your feet, you might then... Uh, you might then, perhaps more importantly, at some point over lunch... Continue that conversation. Uh, ensure that God's word doesn't just return to him empty. What could make you want to wash feet? What does foot washing look like in the Christian community today? Thirdly and finally then, is there any joy in foot washing? Somewhat ironic, um, my observation is that I think we're most likely to rejoice when we get spared hard service. Uh, I work with students, as I said, we go on lots of camps. There gets that moment at the end of the camp where they announce who's doing the chores and who's rostered onto what particular thing. And of course, there's a, there's a palpable cheer that goes up when groups discover that they're not the ones assigned on the toilets. Somewhat ironic, isn't it? Is there any joy in foot washing? Do you wonder if you're even allowed to ask that question in Christian circles? Is there any joy in foot washing? Or perhaps uh, you're at the opposite extreme. Perhaps you found yourself thinking that you ought to feel joy before you'll even start serving. To which I'd simply like to say, what do we learn from Jesus' example? I think it's pretty clear that the way in which John 13 describes it, that to the extent there is joy, it is the product of service, not its prerequisite. Joy is the product of service, not its prerequisite. So let me finish this talk then with a slightly different question. Why are you here today? If you're here today as someone who's not a disciple, perhaps you've come to try and work out who this Jesus is, try and work out what this Christian community is like, try and work out what it would mean to be a disciple of his, then, uh, well, what I'd like to say to you is this is the kind of group, this is the kind of community that Trinity Hills longs to be. One where people serve each other, even at great personal cost. Now, of course, it's not perfect, but that's what it's aiming for. And I think in many ways that marks this community as different from most of the other communities you could choose to belong to in our city. Most of them are about self-interest in the end. This one is about serving others. So if you're here as someone who's trying to work out who Jesus is and what it means to follow him, can I urge you, give it some time because you will see that there is a real and visible joy and delight in this community. On the other hand, if you're here today as someone who is a disciple, uh, and that, of course, is you know, the members of this church, 
I want to acknowledge that despite what we've seen in John 13, it's still hard not to think what's in it for me. It's hard not to think, well, you know what? I'm pulling my weight and others aren't. And it's hard not to think no one ever notices what I do. So why should I keep on serving? I'd like to say this then. Everybody serves someone. Everybody serves someone. And therein lies the clue, I think, to finding joy in foot washing. Because when we serve others, actually what we're doing is serving Jesus. And he is a master who is worthy of our lives. He is righteous and loving and he will not ask us to do anything that he will not do himself. And so if everybody serves somebody, then to serve him is the most wonderfully uplifting and satisfying and fulfilling way to live. You are in service of someone who is worthy of your life. Contrast the anxiety that you would feel if you chose to serve some kind of megalomaniac dictator, who's someone who's prone to fly off the handle. Imagine, I thought about this this week, imagine if you served Kim, Kim, Jong, no, Kim Il-jong, Kim Jong-il, the North Korean dictator who assassinated his own half-brother. Imagine what your life would be like if you served him given who he was. By contrast, if everybody serves someone, all that matters is who you serve. We serve the one who will not ask us to do anything he will not do himself. If you had a choice, these are two opposites, two extremes. Would you rather be a plate washer in Abraham Lincoln's kitchen or the second in charge to Adolf Hitler? Is there any joy in service? Or is it all hard work? Well, there is a joy. You hear it from Jesus' own lips. Look at verse 17. One last time in the passage. I skipped over this, but it's how it finishes. Jesus says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus says there is a blessing in serving others and in so doing, serving him. And my guess is that the blessing Jesus is referring to in verse 17 is the almost inexpressible joy of knowing that you are living your life doing exactly what Jesus wants you to do. Because isn't that what most of us long for? To know that we're living our lives doing what Jesus wants us to do. Now, I know that all of us... We want the details. What will I actually mean? How will I have to do it? Where will it be? Blah, 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 blah. Like, I get that we want to know the details. But the starting point always is our willingness to pre-commit. To say that, yes, Jesus, I will do what you want me to do wherever you put me in your world. And that's the kind of commitment and resolution I think we can make. 
because in so doing, there is a great joy. Will you join me in praying? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you so love the world that you gave your one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We thank you that that Son of yours showed us to the very end what it means to love. So we pray for ourselves for courage, wisdom and patience to be able to serve others because in so doing, we are serving you, our Master and Lord. Amen.